Welcome to episode 226 of the Bronx Beat Podcast. I'm EJ Fagan, and tonight, today, I am recapping the decade with no, with no one, uh, none other than Dr. Paul Semendinger. Hey, EJ, how are you? Paul, I am wonderful. Uh, I, uh, I have had a, a, a wonderful decade. I'm happy to talk about it. But before we do that, you got something to plug. Oh, that's very nice of you to ask. Yes, my new novel titled Scattering the Ashes was released in late October. It's getting great reviews. You can find it on Amazon. It's a story of a young man who, um, after his father passes, is sent on a journey from his father to spread his ashes into places that were meaningful in the father's life. And as this young man named Sam Holmes travels um, throughout the United States, but nothing exotic, um, he has an opportunity to find himself and find out what matters in life. He falls in love, and uh, it's really, I think, a great tale. And there's a lot of baseball, obviously, since I love baseball, <laughs> uh, uh, scattered throughout the book. I think it's a great read, and I would encourage everybody to read it. In fact, if you went to Amazon right now, for the first few days of 2020, it's actually free. So free, a free. It's an ebook that's for free, right? That's the ebook that's yeah. for free. Yes, so and if free you love e-book, it, uh, mm-hmm. if you love it, we we always love authors. Always love five star reviews. That's that's sort of like the greatest thing you can get. So if you love it, only of course. But uh, if you do read it and you do like it, we would love to have you give it a uh, a positive review. And the book is called Scattering the Ashes. Yes. Uh, well, Paul, we're going to scatter the ashes on the decade. Yes, we will. Uh, this decade is almost dead. By the time you listen to this, it might be 2020. Uh, we might be on, uh, on track for a new decade. This is only the second decade that the Yankees have not won a World Series during, the other being the 1980s. And, uh, and so I think there's a lot, a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, so we're just going to go through, go through some best ofs of the decade. And so I'd like to start off, Paul, and ask you, who was the best Yankee hitter of the 2010s? All right, so... Did you mean the Yankee hitter who had the best season? The best... I'm going to allow you to define it as you will. All right. So I'm going to give you a fun answer then. The best Yankee hitter of the decade, meaning the guy who wore pinstripes, who was the very best hitter, has to be Ichiro Suzuki. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't think there was a better guy... Uh, who even played in the decade, maybe, who, had a, who was a better hitter than Ichiro. He played the entire decade, uh, appearing in two games in 2019. He had, in his career, 3,089 hits in the major leagues, over 4,000 hits if you include Japan. Lifetime 311 batting average, but that obviously went down by the uh, last few years of his career. So, yes, my, my vote for the guy who wore pinstripes, who was the best hitter, period, Ichiro. I remember when the Yankees traded for him in the 2012, and they were they were in a pretty desperate strait for a uh, for a right fielder, and Ichiro had had you know been declining. You know, even by that point, he was already pretty old, and uh, and you know had a was coming off a couple of bad seasons, like a bad season and a half. And he, I forget what he hit, but he had a really a really great season for the Yankees, a great great half season for the Yankees. Well, how about um, this? I don't I don't know if anybody beat these numbers anyway. Um, in his first year with the Yankees, 2012, he appeared in 67 games. He had 240 at-bats. He had 73 hits, and he batted 322. So, yeah, so that is uh, I, I, one way to define best hitter of the decade. I, 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 did not, I did not define it that way. I had a couple of candidates here. 
Um, one, but my runner-up for hitter of the decade is a player we talked about quite a bit a few podcasts ago, so I'm not going to name him. But the overall war leader by a mile for the Yankees this decade is Brett Gardner. Um, Brett Gardner was worth 34 Fangraph wins uh, during the 2010s. Uh, he That's uh, 10 wins above the player I'm going to name who's in number two. Um, a lot of that was defense, but a lot of that was a lot of that was also offense. He had the third best offensive WAR um, on the on the decade for the Yankees. He is the only player really on this list of de- player uh, of players of the decade for the Yankees that had anywhere near the amount of playing time that he had. He had about fifty six hundred plate appearances during the decade. And number two is again the guy I'm going to name at number two had only twenty eight hundred. So Brett Gardner really defined really was was the 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 one constant throughout the decade for the New York Yankees. But he is not my pick. My pick for best Yankee hitter of the decade is a player I wish did not leave in free agency, uh, and that is Robinson Cano. You know, I looked at Robbie Cano, and he left, what, after 2013 or after 2012? 2013. Yeah, so I I took him off my list because originally I was thinking, as you were, that the player of the decade had to be someone who played the whole decade. So that would obviously be Brett Gardner. Then I decided to change it and pick Ichiro. So I'm with you on Robbie Cano too as a as a worthy runner up. I, I, I here's why I pick Cano. I, there's a couple of things. First off, he pitched for he played four years as a Yankee. He played basically 160 games each of those four years, um, and so he was you know he was a constant during that first part of the decade. And I, I think his 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 tenure with the team from 2010 through 2013 really was the first phase of the 2010 decade. Uh, the, the, there was three phases in my mind, right? So you have this first phase where the Yankees still kind of have that core team they put together of the aging core four and the free agents they signed in 2009 um, and some other kind of you know, short-term and high-priced free agents and Robinson Cano, the one young player who's kind of the, the, the gel of, of, that, um, of that, 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 uh, that set of players. And they, they put together a pretty impressive run. They win the 2009 World Series, obviously right before this decade, um, and then they're you know one of the best teams in baseball for the next few years, and I think it's when Robinson Robinson Cano leaves after 2013 that you really enter the second phase of the decade, which is this phase where the Yankees are rebuilding essentially. They're really not very good anymore. You know, they they don't have a losing record, but they they uh, a few seasons uh, allow more runs than they score. You know they're still they still have something some things to watch, but it's really a a, a team kind of in transition. Um, and then the, the latter part of the decade is kicked off with a player I think I'm going to talk about a little bit later. So I'll save that right there. Robinson Cano is going to the Hall of Fame, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe the steroids uh, issue, the, per- the PED issue, I'm not sure if it was steroids, uh, will prevent him from doing that. But um, I think he's certainly the best player to come up with the Yankees um, in terms of the career that he's had. He was an MVP, uh, or at least an MVP caliber player for those four years of the decade, one of the best players in the league. And... Uh, and I wish he, he had not been allowed to leave via free agency. He really was an impressive player for the Mariners uh, for most of that contract. Well, let, let, let me add this here, EJ. I think you can put when Robbie Cano leaves the Yankees, as you said, as a turning point time. And that could be the reason the Yankees didn't win at least maybe one more World Series. I don't have all the, the seasons right in front of me, but... In that period after Cano left, the Yankees then invested the money into Jacoby Ellsbury, who did have a good first season with the Yankees, as I recall, and then obviously was hard to, it was hard for him to stay on the field. But the Yankees had nobody to play second base for years. 
and they tried their likes of Brian Roberts and J, uh, was it J.D. Drew, right? They brought back Alfonso Soriano for a second, an old Correct. Alfonso Soriano. I mean, Stephen Drew a, played some some second base. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant, Stephen Drew. So it was it was a it was a black hole for a number of years, and the Yankees, if you, you could make the argument, if they had had a quality second baseman, if they had had Robbie Cano, they might have been a little bit more competitive, and they they weren't that far away from possibly. Um, appearing in a playoffs and, and uh, possibly contending for a World Series in some of those years. And, you know, the, the Yankees, they ended up getting Masahiro Tanaka and Jacoby Ellsbury to replace him. And I think very quickly, at least one and maybe both of those deals kind of go down the tubes. And I remember the time thinking that the Robbie Cano deal, the deal that Seattle gave him was a suicidal deal, was just too much. Uh, but, you know, in hindsight, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I think in hindsight he was worth that money. And um, and uh, you know the Yankees should have should have ponied up, but they did not. So let's uh, let, let's talk now about the best pitcher of the decade, Paul. Who was your best pitcher of the decade? Well, again, the only guy who pitched the whole decade was CC Sabathia. So I think that's the easy choice. But I decided I would pick um, someone who didn't go the whole decade. And um, judging by your recent answer, you may disagree with me on this one. But I think the pitcher of the decade, at least the starting pitcher is Masahiro Tanaka. So I, I, I want to know, I, I think Tanaka, I'm happy the Yankees signed Tanaka. So we should, we should be clear there. So tell me, what's your favorite Masahiro Tanaka moment of the decade? Uh, a singular moment I don't have in front of me that I could say like it was October 13th, um, 19 or 2018 or whatever it is. But it's the fact that whenever there seemed to be a big game, he always seemed always seemed, seemed being the key word there, to be able to step it up and pitch extremely well in these clutch situations over and over again. And so I won't pick a specific game. I'll just say that's my favorite thing about Tanaka is that grittiness and that ability, real or perceived, to step it up and be a big game pitcher. I'm with you. Like I can't remember which playoff game in particular, but Tanaka had three or four playoff games where the Yankees were on the ropes and he comes down, he pitches a shutout with like 12 strikeouts. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you from Masiro Tanaka. I'm going to CC Sabathia. I, I, I appreciate your, uh, your taking the, uh, the uh, counterintuitive pick for me, so I, I don't have to pick it. But uh, I think he's the easy pick of the decade. I think CC Sabathia, again, he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to have his, his, his number retired. He, I think, is the player that when you think of the 2010s, you will think of, um, you, you will picture in your mind with the New York Yankees. He kind of had three decades, another three-decade kind of player. Again, that first early phase where Masahiro Tanaka is the dominant starting pitcher the Yankees signed him to be. He's coming off a World Series win, and he's an ace for a couple of years. Then he enters his decline phase, and it looks like Tanaka is going to— You mean um, Sabathia. Sabathia, I'm sorry. Sabathia is going to um, you know, just kind of end his career with some injuries, with some other off-field issues, and is, 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 that's, that's how he's going to go out. And he has, he has this really brilliant and, and fun last phase of his career— where he turns into a, a different kind of pitcher. He turns into a, a finesse ground ball pitcher. And, uh, and up until pretty much la- the 2019 season, uh, really was a joy to watch for those last few seasons. So I think, I think Sabathia is the, the pitcher of the decade. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about best... I think it has to be 2000... 17? Oh, good. <laughs> you know, that was the year the Yankees 
didn't expect to win, and they did win. And a lot of the young guys came up, including Aaron Judge, and became stars, and they did all sorts of great things, and they were a really super fun team to root for. Uh, in the beginning of the decade, they won a lot, as you had mentioned, but they weren't necessarily fun to root for. As a spoiled Yankee fan, it was frustration because we always felt they could have been better, just a little bit better, and they should have won some World Series maybe in that time. And eh, similarly, um, 2018 and 2019, you just had the sense 2017 leaves you like next year or the year after, big things are going to happen, and it didn't quite come to fruition. So 17 leaves you with a happy feeling, 18 and 19 leave you with less than a happy feeling. And so 17 has to be my favorite year. Okay, so we had a little bit of an error. Uh, as you were, you were listening to Paul and I a day after we just recorded that first bit that you listened to. We actually uploaded Paul's audio on the second bit, but my audio uh, didn't get into the episode. That was uh, an error on my part. I apologize for that error. If you, uh, if you were downloading the episode and you're listening, you listened to it and you were very confused, um, uh, you can thank uh, one of your loyal listeners for emailing me and telling me about my error because uh, I, uh, I'm recording on the road and I was, took a couple of shortcuts. So we're going to continue the episode after uh, where, from where, where the, uh, uh, we started off and maybe we'll give slightly different answers than we gave yesterday. But, uh, but Paul, you just told us yesterday about your favorite season, the 2017 season. And uh, I'm going to give an answer. In fact, I'm going to give a slightly different answer than I gave yesterday because uh, I forgot about the season. I forgot about the 2012 Yankees season, which uh, which was a lot of fun. It was, again, the end of one of these eras. It was, it was the last real powerhouse Yankees of that generation. It's the team that had Mariano Rivera on it. Uh, it's a team that had uh, CC Sabathia still in his prime. It was the first season of Hiroki Kuroda. Uh, it was the team of uh, where you had um, – uh, I'm sorry, actually, no, Mariano Rivera wasn't on this team. Uh, this is the Rafael Soriano season. But I think my favorite part about the 2012 season was the beginning of it, that Andy Pettit shows up in spring training to throw some batting practice and somehow gets convinced to, uh, to, to, to come back, come out of retirement. And the Yankees got the first of two seasons of, of Andy Pettit in 2012, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, so I, I think that I think that's my favorite season. I'm with you. I think the 2017 season is the probably the best season of uh, uh, of baseball. It was certainly one of the most fun seasons. Uh, so that that's our favorite season. So we're going to move on. We're going to talk about uh, our favorite game. So Paul, what what was the best game of the two, uh, 2010 decade? All right. So last night when we talked about this, I went with a, one game. I would like to throw a hat tip to a different game, though. But but the best game has to be that uh, Greg Bird home run off of Andrew Miller. That was, uh, I believe it was October 8th, 2017, in the playoffs. And uh, he broke the scoreless tie, and the Yankees won that game. And it was just, at least for one night, Greg Bird was the hero and the great player we always hoped and wanted him to be, and and so that that goes as my best game. So this was against the against the Cleveland Indians in the ALDS of that year, 2017. Uh, yes. Yeah, the Yankees are behind. If I remember correctly, they were behind in the series, and you know it looks like all is lost. You have a you know big lefty Andrew Miller coming in at the height of his powers to, to take on Greg Bird. And uh, and and Greg Bird hits the big home run. It, it it's probably probably his best moment as a Yankee. I think. Yeah, abs- absolutely, and and it's really only super great moment, right? 
Yeah, you know, he had some of those, those that that last half of the season in 2015 where he was pretty good. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this was the moment that made us all think that Greg Bird's our starting first baseman for two years in a row. And that didn't work out. That's correct. Uh, but it, that was a great game, and I, I'm definitely with you. That was a game that I considered. Um, uh, before I mention my, my other game, um, so what, what's your honorable mention? Okay, so the honorable mention is that game from this past season, July 23rd, 2019, um, at Target Field, five-hour game, Yankees 14, Twins 12. It was a back-and-forth contest, and that's the game that Chad Green came in out of the pen, and the last batter of the game for the Twins came up, and that batter, I'm just scrolling down here to get it correct, is Max Kepler. And he hits the ball into deep left center field. And Aaron Hicks goes running as fast as he can. And he leaps like Superman. And he makes an unbelievable game-saving catch, which really was uh, maybe one of the great highlights of this last season. Yeah, you know, you forget how great Aaron Hicks is on, is on defense. He's been injured for the last couple of years, and so we haven't seen a lot of Aaron Hicks. But uh, I still think that seven-year contract was a good deal. What do you think? I believe that it was a good contract. I think it makes sense. Uh, the, the problem is that he's always hurt. And so, you know, you got to hope that he can figure this out and, and figure out a way to stay healthy. I don't know if that's a skill or not. And the Yankees have changed their strength and condi- conditioning coach. And I think they're looking at things a little bit differently as an organization. So if there is any correlation between all the players getting injured and, and whatever their old practices were, you have to hope that maybe their new practices are going to help keep the players healthier. I'm looking for an, forward to Aaron Hicks in the, in the playoffs next year. Mm, let's hope he comes back. I'm hoping he comes back by August. Yeah, you know, Tommy John surgery for, you know, we, we've seen a lot of infielders with Tommy John surgery lately, and I just don't know what to expect from an outfielder, which just makes a much different throw, really has to make that much more infrequent, but much more, I think, unnatural kind of throw. Um, and so uh, you, know, you don't know what that rehab time is going to be compared with Torres and, and Didi Gregorius and others. Correct. And Torres, again, it was his non-throwing arm, so that made yeah, a little true, difference. Uh, yeah. So I, I've, got a, I've got my entry, and it also comes from the 2017 playoffs. Uh, again, a really wonderful series. And I have the 2017 wildcard game. Uh, this was against the Minnesota Twins. It's um, it was an interesting game because the Yankees went into that to that game. I think feeling really good, right? They didn't win the division because the Boston Red Sox were so good that season, but they go in and they're they're this powerhouse team, and they're you know they're going up against um, you know up against the Minnesota Twins, who they have such a great historical record against, and really just weren't as good of a team that year uh, as the Yankees. And uh, so they're going in. They've got Luis Severino pitching. He's the starting pitcher. That he's coming off by far his best season. He didn't have any of the end of the season issues that he had in 2018. So we're going in. We know we have the best pitcher. We're going up against Irvine Santana. It just feels like this is the Yankees' game to win. And then they, and then Severino doesn't get out of the first inning, and he'll, he allows three runs. And the Yankees only barely hold you know hold on to just three runs thanks to Chad Green coming in and getting getting them out of the jam. So this is demoralizing, right? This is this the Yankee. This is the new look Yankee team. They hadn't been back in the playoffs for a while, and uh, you know, and you know, this is the Aaron. This is the Aaron Judge season. This is the season where Gary Sanchez is really good. It, it feels like it's the Yankees to win, and you allow three runs, and the Yankees postseason could be over just like that. And then bottom of the first inning, the Yankees put two men on, and Didi Gregorius hits a big home run, and. I, I mean, I don't think I've cheered that hard for a hit in a very, very long time, uh, for, especially for a first-inning hit. Uh, the Yankees go on to win that game 8-4, to four, though it definitely felt like a closer game than that semi-lopsided score. 
Um, it was a team that, you know, it was a game that David Robertson pitched three and a third innings, was really the hero of that game, where Tommy Canley pitches two innings, where Chad Green pitches two innings. Uh, I mean, they really pieced together, I think, a fantastic wild card game uh, and, and really kind of proved that you don't need a starting pitcher in the wild card game these days. That's true. Aaron, Great Aaron, point. H- Aaron Judge hit a big home run in that game. If I remember correctly, it was like one of those big 450, you know, 450 uh, feet home runs. Brett Gardner had a great game. It was just, it was a lot of fun, and uh, and I uh, I, uh, I will always remember how much how much fun that that game uh, actually was. So that that's our best game. Now let's go and talk about our best hit. And I'm not, I'm gonna not going to let you pick a hit from either of those two games we talked about because there are we we talked about two of the the most fun hits of the 2017 season right there. Uh, so what's your best hit of the decade? So my best hit, I'm going to go back to your favorite season then, and then we're going to go back to 2012. And good old Raul Ibanez. <laughs> he had a bunch of them. Yes, and and the playoffs, the game when he hit the uh, two home runs in the ALDS, and including I believe the walk off. So uh, that that would be my biggest hit. Yeah, so I mean that that was a that was a crazy September and October for Ibanez. Ibanez had been, I think, a little bit of a disappointment during most of the regular season. He had a really low on base percentage. He had for a little bit of power, but you know didn't really do much on defense and. And, you know, was a veteran presence in the clubhouse, and that was really about it. And then in September, he had, I think, like three big clutch home runs in the last week or so of the season to, 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 to win games the Yankees needed to win to, to make the playoffs or to win the division. And then, you know, in that game you're talking about, I mean, he hits, I'm trying to remember the details of that hit. I mean, he hit a, he hit a real monster home run that was, was it a walk off? I'm trying to remember. He did. He hit two home runs in that game. It was in the 12th inning. Uh, it was a walk-off dinger, and um, he deposited it. I'm reading off of cut four. This is this is how they uh, describe it. He deposited the ball deep into the upper deck, and you can, if you went to that their website, you could watch the clip. And it mentions John Sterling's call, Raul, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> One of Sterling's just, best of the decade. Yes, uh, absolutely. The uh, I I I I agree with you. I, I absolutely love that hit, um, and uh, and it's it's of the kind, right? That when we talk about best hits, we're normally talking about best playoff moments, right? So we talked about I talked about the Didi Gregorius hit before. You talked about the uh, uh, the big the big hit in the uh, uh, in the uh, twenty seventeen game against against the, against Cleveland, and that's normally well, that, that that's ninety nine percent of the time that's one of those hits you're going to pick when you talk about best hit of the decade. Uh, but my best hit of the decade is is a hit that didn't matter. It, it was a hit during the 2014 season. It was Derek Jeter's last uh, last hit in Yankee Stadium. Um, the the drama of this is is it was almost like a poetic hit. Derek Jeter is he is limping to the finish. Uh, he had a very bad last season as a Yankee. He was a real drag on that team. He was one of the reasons why that team wasn't very good. And in the couple of seasons before, he had been injured. He had been not very good. We'd all been kind of waiting for him to retire. And I at least remember my feelings toward Jeter really soured during that time. That Jeter was being selfish. That he was he he was erasing all the good stuff that he had done earlier in his career by insisting on playing shortstop by sticking around too long. And and then he erased all that with one hit. I mean, he 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 did the magic thing that he had done so many times in his career. If if you don't remember this game. It's the last game at Yankee Stadium. It's the fourth to last game of the year. Uh, the Yankees are, forget who they're playing, but they're, 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 they are, they're behind in the game. Or they're actually ahead in the game. David Robertson gives up a lead, uh, and the game is tied. And he gives up, ju- he gives up the, the, the lead just in time 
for Derek Jeter, you know, making what will we we now know will be his last hit in Yankees his last at bat in Yankee Stadium to bring him to the plate. He comes to the plate with a man on and he hits a walk off single. And I mean, I just I cheered like it was the Game Seven of the World Series. It, it was it was just one of those amazing poetic moments. We could see it coming. Like like the Michael K on the broadcast just saw like announced that yes, like this is a possibility. This is something that might happen. And it happened. And, and that was incredible. And the only bad thing about that hit is that he didn't retire immediately after that hit. Um, you know, he, he, he came out, people were, he was mobbed by his team. People just, you know, people went crazy like you do with any kind of walk off hit. And then they lay, leave him on the field. Right. So, so he has this hit. He has this big emotional moment. And then everybody clears the field and it's just Derek Jeter goes, walks out to shortstop, you know, squats down a little bit. And, and that should have been his Yankee. His that, that should have been the end. You're, you're he had a couple of anticlimactic games in, in 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 Boston. After that, he said that people paid money to see his last couple of games, and so he thinks they deserve just a few at bats. But he, he just DH'd for half a game each game, and and that was it. But uh, that would have been a very poetic ending to the career. It basically was a poetic ending to the career, and uh, and I think it deserves the best hit of the decade. That that was against Baltimore. I pulled it up while you were talking. It was it was um you know it was one of those games that Baltimore used to be good back then. I think that was the year they went to the World Series or, or one of them. Um, but uh, you know it, it's I think it's the hit that will be replayed on like Yes Network like specials thirty years from now um, more than any any yeah, yeah. playoff hit because the Yankees didn't make didn't win the World Series this decade. That's correct, and and you're right about that. The Baltimore Orioles that year finished ninety six and sixty six and in first place. All right, so uh, best trade of the decade. Now we're getting a little bit a little bit weirder. So the Yankees made a lot of trades this decade. I know I considered a bunch. I know you considered a bunch. What is your best trade of the 2010s? I believe the best trade of the 2010s took place on December the 5th, 2014. It was a three-team three trade. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the Yankees, and the Tigers. The Tigers sent Domingo Leba and Robbie Ray to the Diamondbacks. The Yankees sent Shane Green to the Tigers, and the Diamondbacks sent D.D. Gregorius to the Yankees. And it was all glorious once they had Gregorius. <laughs> That's a very <laughs> sterling, uh, sterling little rhyme there. I, you know, D.D. Gregorius... You know, he, he has to replace Derek Jeter. And, and I, I think that's a little bit overrated, the idea that you, you need to find the next Don Mattingly and you get Tino Martinez, or you need to find the next uh, closer and you get Araldus Chapman or something like that. I, I think that uh, because Derek Jeter wasn't very good for the last couple of years of his career. So you were, you, were, you were looking forward to a player who would just be good, who would be a good shortstop and would, would contribute to the team that way. Uh, but I think we got a lot more than that in Didi Gregorius. We, we got a player who was a leader on the team. We got a really fun player to watch, a player who eventually developed some pretty good power and became, you know, one of the better shortstops in the league for a couple of years. Played five seasons with the team, and we got him for Shane Green. <laughs> yeah, right. And he hit I, yeah. 97 home runs as a Yankee, three consecutive 20 home run seasons. He went 20, 25, and 27. And, and you could argue we would have hit 20 uh, this past year. He hit 16 after missing half a season. It really was a guy who benefited from the from the juiced ball. Uh, really, a guy who benefited from Yankee Stadium. I mean, I don't, I didn't realize when we trade for him that he was just a dead pull hitter, and he could get kind of those cheapy home runs pretty well in Yankee Stadium. So, um, I mean, just a great signing, and I, I wish him the best in Philadelphia. Part of me wishes we had resigned him, but knows it was probably the wrong baseball move. That's correct. It, it, the the emotional side would have said bring Didi back, but um, his, his best years are probably behind him. 
and the Yankees have Glaber, Glaber Torres to be their shortstop for the next 10 years. So, And speaking of that shortstop for the next 10 years, my favorite trade of the decade is the trade where we acquired Glaber Torres by trading half a season of Araldis Chapman to the Chicago Cubs. This was in 2016. This is when the Yankees, this is the only time I can ever remember the Yankees selling. They they determined at the trade deadline that they were not going to make the playoffs, and they decided to, to send their best players uh, to uh, to contending teams. There's a couple of other seasons I wish they had done this. I wish they had done this with Corota and Cano during the 2014 season. I think they could have jump-started their rebuilding process quite a bit had they done that. Um, but they didn't. They wanted to go for it in the 2014 season. That ultimately didn't work out. And there's a couple of things I love about this trade. First off, I mean, the obvious value for nothing, right? The Yankees re-signed Araldis Chapman a few months later, so they still get to have him on future teams, uh, but they get Glaber Torres in return. They get this shortstop of the future. Um, the Cub, Cubs fans will say that, you know, they got a World Series out of it, so whatever, you know, they're, they're happy with the trade. But I think this is clearly a, a steal for Brian Cashman. Glaber Torres wasn't just some nowhere, nowhere, nowhere prospect that got good under the Yankees. He was one of the best prospects in the game, and they got him for half a season of one of the best closers in the game. Um, but the other thing I love about this trade is the Yankees got better after it. Uh, you know, we've been talking about, you know, the, 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 the eras of the decade. And, and the era, I think this trade really marks the beginning of the last era, uh, era of the decade. It's not long after this trade uh, that the Yankees release Alex Rodriguez. Uh, they decide to call up Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin and Gary Sanchez. And um, Gary Sanchez really leads the team for the remaining few months of that season. He slugs about 650 and uh, becomes the, you know, and the team gets better. So the team, in, the 2016 team was actually better and almost like had made a run at the playoffs after they traded Araldis Chapman. Um, and uh, and that just created a really fun team that started the 2017 season, which we've already talked about, and uh, and kind of goes on into modern day. So uh, I love the trade for its symbolism. I love the trade for its substance. I think it's I think it's the, one of the trades that uh, if Brian Cashman goes into the Hall of Fame, and I hope he does, uh, that will be uh, will be talked about as uh, as a real masterstroke. Absolutely. Um, all right, so we have best trade. How about best free agent signing? The Yankees, this is a little bit tougher. The Yankees don't have a lot of great free agent signings this decade. Who do you think is the best signing? I believe, as I recall last night, I said that the Yankees' best free agent signing came uh, right before the 2019 season when they signed Bryce Harper before his MVP year where he hit 337 <laughs> with 52 homers and 135 runs batted in. Yeah, that, that is happen. not uh, the answer. Uh, yeah. However, uh, we also we should note that we've excluded Garrett Cole from this from this list. That is correct. So the true answer is when the Yankees signed Masahiro Tanaka. So let's let's go back into Masahiro Tanaka a little bit. So the Yankees had missed out on Daisuke Matsuzaka a year or two earlier, and it's hard, it's easy to forget that Daisuke was a phenomenon when he came over here. He was this really great Japanese pitcher. Who um, uh, actually? I guess I guess Dice K was probably a little bit earlier. I guess I'm missing, messing this up. So they after got, uh, Dice K Masuzaka signed, the Yankees signed another another Japanese pitcher who ended up being a flop. I'm trying to remember his name. It was Keigawa. Uh, Keigawa, and they signed Keigawa, and he's a total flop. He plays out his you know tens of millions of dollar contract in the minor leagues, and the Yankees really shied away from big Japanese pitchers for a long time until Masahiro Tanaka is posted. And Tanaka was probably one of the best pitchers since since uh, I guess it was oh, it was you Darvish they lost out on. I'm sorry about that. So you Darvish comes over, the Yankees don't get him, and they get they 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 have this consolation prize in Masahiro Tanaka, who was 
about as good as you, Darvish, over in Japan, but it was a much different profile. It wasn't a quote-unquote American profile, the kind of pitcher who throws 95 and has a big slider and all of that. He was really uh, he was a, the guy with the with a with a killer splitter, with really good control, and the Yankees got a hold of him. They signed him to a pretty big contract, 22 million dollars per year. He's still playing out the back end of that contract. One more year. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think I, you're, you probably have to agree with this, that, that Tanaka is most notable for his his playoff performances. Correct. Um, his regular seasons have been good, but a little bit disappointing at times. He's been injured quite a bit. He had the Tommy John surgery, um, or not, I'm sorry, not the Tommy John surgery. He had the, the uh, elbow ligament tear that uh, really has derailed most of, most of his, his regular seasons. But when the big game comes, Tanaka shuts him out. Correct. And, and, and the fun of it is, is is this narrative that goes along with Tanaka that in the big game, he can step it up and he's a Superman. Now, that's not necessarily true. His lifetime record in the postseason is only 5-3. and three, But his lifetime ERA in the postseason is 1.76 after eight starts. He's allowed only 25 hits in 46 innings. Um, and he struck out 37 over 46 innings, which is probably a better inning uh, to strikeout ratio than he has during the regular season. So it's fun. I mean, he's he's a magic magical pick, pitcher in the postseason, which um, is just one of those things. You, you, whether it's true or not, you like to believe that certain players can turn it up a notch and, and help you win. And I, that's the narrative that surrounds Masahiro Tanaka. And he's a fun Yankee, and he's been an, an excellent Yankee. And that's why I think he's the best free agent signing of the decade. And also, you know, one one of the few players the Yankees have signed this decade uh, to big contracts. Uh, Garrett Cole really marked a, a change in in the Yankee philosophy um, that that had really dominated the 2010s, where the Yankees would would still spend money, but they would trade for some players, or they would um, they would they would sign people to kind of large but short term contracts. Masahiro Tanaka and Jacoby Ellsbury in 2014 were were the exception to that, and you know one of those worked out pretty well, I think, in Tanaka, and one of them didn't. Uh, but you know, for a long time, that he was the he was the one example of a big contract the Yankees were willing to go. And if I remember correctly, the Yankees were projected to be below the luxury tax threshold in 2014. That 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 was the the season they were going to reset their their luxury tax, and they made an exception for Tanaka and and, and Ellsbury to some extent. I think they were going to sign Ellsbury either way. And uh, you know, I, I think we we would it'd be interesting to see if history played out differently if they decide not to do that. If they decide just to lose the 2014 season. And uh, and then spend some more money on some of the other players that came up. Um, I think that's a great pick. I think the only other real obvious uh, pick here, other than some minor league signings that worked out pretty well in terms of a value basis, is Hiroki Kuroda. Kuroda uh, was the Yankees signed him as an older kind of free agent. He 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 came over from Japan a little later than uh, than some other players. Right, he was thirty three when he first came to the Dodgers. Yeah, and and the Yankees get him as a free agent after after his four years with the Dodgers. He's thirty seven years old. He'd be coming off a couple of really good years with the Dodgers, but he I think put in really his best performance as a major leaguer in the twenty twelve season after he signed. He pitches two hundred nineteen innings with a three point three two ERA. Uh, the next season he pitches a very similar kind of line. Uh, he never really blew people away with stuff. He was the kind of guy who would get by on guile. He'd get by on having a lot of pitches and having a really good splitter. And his tenure, his tenure with the Yankees was just extremely successful. It's the kind of tenure you, you wish that someone like Jay Happ would have in his late 30s. He pitched over 200 innings two of the three years, 199 innings the third year, uh, had, a, had a nice low ERA, was probably the best pitcher on that, the, those mid-decades teams. 
and uh, and unfortunately didn't didn't want to finish his career in America. He wanted to finish his career back with his old team in Japan, and uh, and so uh, the Yankees uh, the Yankees tried to re-sign him after the 2014 season, but were ultimately unable to. Correct, and he went back to Hiroshima, where he had played beforehand, and where he became a star, and he pitched for them for his age 40 and age 41 seasons. He um, went 11-8 and with a 2.55 ERA as a 40-year-old, and then as a 41-year-old to cap off his career, he went 10-8 and with a 3.20 ERA, still pitching 151 innings. So... I think it's a great story. He, he's, he's one of those guys who you can't help but really appreciate and like. I, I enjoy a, I enjoy watching a junk baller pitch more than I enjoy watching any type of other pitcher play. Um, and, and that was always Kuroda. You kind of feel like he could, he could come off the bench tomorrow and, uh, and really, uh, and really, uh, uh, still pitch at age 44. He, he could still get batters out if he wanted to. But uh, he retired on top of his game, and and, uh, and good for him. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk. We, we, we've kind of gone over the, over the decade. And one thing I'd like to do that we actually didn't do last night is, Paul, you remember the 1980s. Yes. Uh, and the 1980s are probably the worst Yankee decade Ever. It was a decade that was largely disappointing. The Yankees spent a lot of money on a lot of big players. They went to the World Series once, but uh, the later part of the decade, they were actually quite bad. Uh, it's also the, the only other decade where the Yankees didn't win a World Series. So that, my question, since 1920. Since 1920, the 1920s. Correct. So my, my question to you is, is, did the 2010s feel like the 1980s, or did they feel different? Uh, they felt different. It, in fact, the 2010s, in my opinion, is a mirror image of the 1980s. People uh, remember the 1980s, the 1980s Yankees, because of those last couple of years. In 89, they finished in fifth. In 88, they finished in fifth. In 87, they finished in fourth. But before that, they were actually very, very good. In 86, they, they finished in second place. In 85, they finished in second place. In 84 and 83, they finished in third place. They went to the playoffs in 80 and got swept by the Royals. So I remember George Brett hit a million home runs in that series. And then they went to the World Series in 81, which was the strike year. And after winning the first two games, they lost. So the, the decade started off very good, and then it ended very, very poorly. But for most of the decade, the Yankees were actually a pretty darn good team with a lot of stars. They had Winfield and Rigetti and Guidry and Ricky Henderson and scrappy players like Mike Pagliarillo. So so they were fun to watch, but you were watching a team that was slowly dying. The difference between the 2010s is the Yankees had that period in the middle of the decade, as you talked about, where if, or actually in the very beginning and into the middle, where you felt they were slowly dying. And then you wanted them to, in the middle of the decade, sign a couple of big players, make some great trades, and, and become a powerhouse again. And they didn't do it. And the, the word of the day or the word of the decade was patience. And as the decade progressed, we saw 2017, they got really good. 2018 and 2019, they were really good. They just didn't finish the job and win the World Series. But they leave the decade optimistically. In the end of the 1980s and into 1990, there was no optimism. They were terrible. And in fact, in 1990, the Yankees finished in last place. So if the Yankees in 2020 finish in last place, we've got a big problem because that's not the projection at all. Yeah, well, there's always the Orioles, so uh, <laughs> we don't have to worry too much about that. 
I think um, yeah, I think the difference is is that is that those young players saved the Yankee decade. the The, the difference is the Yankees of the late 1980s they didn't get their Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez moment until the 20, 1995 at least. Um, there was a little bit of action that you know Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill and everybody before that, but you didn't really see the new team forming until it formed and it That's was able correct. to do that. And um, and, you, and you had these fake. Um, Hopeful superstars that came up in the in the late eighties, like the guys you really hoped might become something who who never really did, like Mark Kelly or yeah, um, I'm just looking at the '89 Yankees. There weren't a whole lot of you know who's on that team: Deion Sanders, Hensley Mullins, um, Dan Pasqua. I really wanted him to be great. I believe he came up in late '86 and and didn't really uh, ever fulfill his promise. Um, Oscar Oscar Azokar in the early '90s. You had Kevin Moss for a season. That was probably 91. Um, but none of those guys really had any staying power until really Bernie comes along. Hey, at least you got uh, you got uh, Ricky Henderson for a while. That, was, that must have been fun. Ricky Henderson in the middle of it, yeah. He was, he was uh, phenomenal. Well, uh, here's to the 2010s. I think it's been a pretty fun decade, even if the Yankees didn't win a World Series. But I'm hoping that that will not be the same thing. I will not say the same about the 2020, the 2020s. I think the 2020s are the, are the season where... At least in the beginning of the decade, the Yankees are poised to be pretty darn dominant. The the decade of Garrett Cole. Um, so thank you very much, Paul, for recording this a second time. Everybody, thank you for listening. I will again wish you all a happy new year. And I'm looking forward to uh, a wonderful podcast uh, schedule early in next uh, in, in 2020. Everybody, uh, this has been your Bronx Beat Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.